Wild Missions original podcast. In Central and West Africa, wildlife crime and corruption was rampant. And yet, not a single individual had ever been prosecuted. It's in these fragile landscapes where lions are on the brink of extinction, leopards are under threat, and other endangered species such as the western black rhino, gorillas and elephants could soon disappear. So when a young activist discovered the lack of any real enforcement or action against wildlife crime in Cameroon, he began a journey to become the first NGO in the region to directly fight wildlife crime and corruption. Almost 20 years later, they now operate in nine countries and incredibly have helped arrest and jail over 3,000 wildlife traffickers in West and Central Africa. So in this episode, we'll explore how to fight wildlife crime and corruption and how the wildcats of West and Central Africa need our help now. I'm Andy Vavil, and this is Cats of the Wild, episode 28, Fighting Wildlife Crime. Ophir Drory was born in Israel, and it's no surprise he ended up in the back roads of Africa. His family name, Drory, means my freedom. And as soon as he turned 18, he left for Africa seeking adventures, perhaps searching for his calling in life. I came to Africa as an adventure and starting extreme journeys to explore Africa. And all this turned me into an activist. And in my extreme journeys of months in the bush at a time, I have seen wildlife, experienced wildlife been a part of the landscape and animals were a part of the landscape. And that instilled in me that passion for wildlife. As an activist, I was just traveling everywhere and trying to do good wherever I go and trying to have a more meaningful interaction with my environment. So that led me to assisting in humanitarian operations, to helping people in school, in their farms, to becoming a photographer and a journalist and trying to write about human rights issues from those places. I was just trying to take a break from writing about stoning of women in Nigeria and thinking that I'll cross the border to a neighboring Cameroon and and maybe, you know, have a break, do something easy. And doing something easy was writing an article about the extinction of apes. I had a lead sentence from Jane Goodall that in 15 years we're going to lose chimps, gorillas and, and other animals to the illegal trade in their meat, the bushmeat trade. So my idea was to just take two weeks, three weeks, write about it, write about the problem, direct people to those who are fighting against this dark prophecy, and then continue to go back to writing about human rights. And that's how I found myself in Cameroon. Cameroon is in West Central Africa, bordering Nigeria, Chad, and the Republic of Congo, to name a few. Biodiversity is rich there. It's often known as Africa in miniature, with mountains, savannas, rainforests, beaches, and deserts. It's home to forest elephants, 
the critically endangered western lowland gorilla, the Nigerian Cameroon chimpanzee, as well as the West African lion, leopard, serval, African golden cat, and caracal. So when I came to Cameroon, it was very easy to write an article to cover it. The illegal trade in great apes was rampant and it was quite open. So I volunteered in an ape sanctuary and, and wrote about how apes are, are so much similar to us, how they have feelings, it can be seen, how they're thinking creatures, how they're so much different than other things you've seen because they're so close to us. Then I went to the law enforcers, trying to be in the checkpoints, trying to see what's happening and seeing how much they are involved the illegal trade itself, instead of enforcing the laws that existed to protect those apes. And so, in my article, it was pretty clear that they are racing toward extinction because of the illegal trade in their meat, that there is a law to protect them and prevent this, but the same people who are in charge of enforcing the laws are the same ones who are actually running the trade to start with. So, high complicity, high corruption, and the law that, that gives up to three years imprisonment to anyone who is even trying to carry this illegal trade has never been enforced, even once, because of corruption. So all this was very clear, and that's where I was basically trying to turn to the end of the article, where I'm looking for the light in the end of the tunnel, those who are fighting against all odds to enforce the laws, fighting against corruption, to make sure that these apes are protected and not racing towards extinction. At this point, Afir had no intentions of starting an NGO to fight wildlife crime. He was just writing an article. But as he looked around at the NGOs operating in Cameroon, there were lots of workshops and seminars, but none of them were actually doing anything tangible, nor did they even want to whisper the word corruption. Afir then came across a baby chimpanzee trapped in the illegal wildlife trade. A moment that would change his life. I saw this baby chimp tied and abused in the house of the traffickers that were trying to sell him to me. In all the story I was writing, everything that I was trying to put in words now had a very clear meaning of a baby chimp that would die. The baby of one and a half years old I would die very soon unless I rescue him. But if I rescue him, may, maybe he will outlive me. And so I went to the wildlife authorities and they were not at all interested in applying the law. They were afraid, they wanted money, they were corrupt. And after long arguments, they actually tried to sell me another baby chimp. That night, Afir went back to his motel room and he knew, he absolutely knew, he had to do something to save that baby chimpanzee. This was Cameroon in 2002. There's no wildlife rescue organizations or governments or zoos to help. Without Afia's help, this baby chimpanzee would die. That night was full of anger that I put on paper, on the criticism of all the eels of the conservation system that produced that kind of huge failure to end injustice. And after a while, I started writing what I was thinking I would find. What I was thinking I would actually write as an ending to my article. Who are those guys that I imagine fighting against all odds to save apes from extinction? I ended up writing a draft of what needs to happen, an NGO that will be based on activism, fight corruption to get the law applied, 
work on undercover investigations to find the bigger traffickers and those corrupt officials. An NGO that will be an enforcement NGO that will actually go to the field with the police officers to, to not just make the arrest, but actually control them for corruption because we'll not work with a corrupt system to, to arrest those traffickers. And that will follow up cases in court and fight corruption in court and be very much hands-on to the prison system to verify that prisoners are actually there and not bribing their way out. And the following day, I went back to the wildlife officials and said, just give me the book of law. I will go to the traffickers myself if you are afraid and you're reluctant to do so. And basically, I was bluffing them to make them think as if I'm part of a big new international NGO that is fighting the law, fighting the corruption to get the law applied. And it worked. And that's how I rescued this baby chimp. And I named him Future because that's what I wanted to give to him. That night, Afia not only gave Future a future, but provided the hope of a future for so many other animals in Western Central Africa. With no money, no officers, no vehicles, and just a bunch of volunteers, Afia started work to turn his writings into reality, to start a new NGO to fight wildlife crime in West Africa. From the day that I wrote everything we do, I knew it was possible. I knew it was a serious fight. I knew that I have to spit blood for it to happen, but I knew it is possible. And, 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 and there was resistance from everywhere. Like there was not a single soul who was saying, this is possible. Everybody said either that it is impossible or either it should never be done. And I was quite alone with the idea or trying to prove the ideal. But I had that conviction that it can be done. And I knew that I'm the one to carry that fight because it was a very serious fight. We were a group of people, me and a group of Cameroonians that were sharing that ideal. Saying, yeah, we, we can do that. There was no money. There was no budget. There was no car or office or anything like that. There was no donor. It was just that and a bunch of volunteers that were saying, let's try to do that. Let's prove it's possible. And we managed to get the first ever wildlife prosecution in all of West Africa and Central Africa. Historical. It was covered by international media and exposed also the conservation for what it is, for its inability to deal with this problem to start with. A fierce fight against wildlife crime started in Cameroon and has since expanded to nine countries, now under the name of Eagle Network. They've been incredibly successful in their investigations, arresting hundreds of big cat traffickers. But it's their unique operating model that has allowed them to lead the arrest of over 3,000 wildlife traffickers. We have four different departments in each country. The first one is investigations, where we have undercover investigators. They infiltrate the trade, trying to build trust with the traffickers and manage to get them into an, a sting operation that we will carry. The second department is the operations department, where we take the authorities into an arrest operation that we plan to arrest the traffickers or the corrupt officials red-handed. We fight corruption in the field in real time after intercepting it. The next department is the legal department, where we have legal advisors who follow up the case, intercept corruption in the court. We can tell you who was trying to bribe who, who was trying to influence what, and we intercept it and fight it. We also have private prosecutions so that we 
we control the prosecutions themselves. So we get imprisonment terms for these traffickers. Next department is the media department where we maximize the deterrent value of our actions by advertising it in the national media that this high official was jailed, important trafficker was getting jailed, and by that trying to break the notion of impunity, the notion of protection that traffickers would have when they are working for an organization of high officials and bigger international traffickers. In a report by the Global Financial Action Task Force, it estimated the problem of illegal wildlife trade is worth something in the region of $260 billion annually. Africa is in a crisis that few would have anticipated, at least not to the extent to which it is impacting the most visible symbols of conservation, the continent's iconic species. For the first time, the UN has produced a global report on the problem. It says virtually every country in the world plays a role either as a source, transit or destination for illegal wildlife. It's clear wildlife trafficking is no small issue. It's a sophisticated international crime network. So how does it work? And what is the difference between a poacher and a trafficker? You know, it, it works like any other crime. There's organized crime component to it. There's links to other forms of crime, like the drugs trade, arms trade, trafficking persons, all of them. So when you are kind of like forgetting about wildlife for a second and thinking about crime, then you understand it better. And like any other crime, it doesn't start with a pusher in the street. It doesn't start with the small guys. It starts from up. That's where the empires are being built. There are those who are generating what's happening down. So the same goes with the illegal wildlife trade for the most part, where it doesn't start with a poacher poaching an elephant and then trying to sell it. It starts with a kingpin that is building an empire, gaining a lot of money, starting to advance and employ and get to his organization many different layers of corrupt officials, corrupt traffickers that are now working with different squads of poachers as a part of this organization. So in other words, the trafficking is generating the killing and not the other way around. Another important misconception, just as the confusion between poachers and traffickers, is the misconception of the demand-supply dichotomy, where you're thinking that there is a fixed demand somewhere for ivory in China, let's say, and that is what is generating the killings now. Well, in fact, the actual organized crime it has mostly one foot in Asia and one foot in Africa as the same organization. And the same organization that is generating the killings is the same one who is now propagating the demand, working on the demand by supplying it to many other outlets and even marketing completely new products from YLF, as we have seen ourselves from insights from our own arrest operations. And, and when we carry the investigations in Africa, we collaborate several times with Asian NGOs and authorities in trying to complete the investigations, get more arrests over there, sometimes assisting prosecutions in Asia. That has to be done more and more if we are to actually really effectively tackle the problem. As you might imagine, the work of Fiera and his team does is incredibly dangerous. Their third core value as an organisation is courage. And I quote, This value is a necessity for our risky daily work and stems from deep passion and a sense of purpose that comes from fighting for a just cause. But this value also applies for moral courage. 
the courage to do and say the right thing even when it's unpopular or leads to conflict. Change is friction. Friction is conflict. An activist fight is therefore abundant with conflict. There's dangers and threats all the time. This is a part of activism and definitely part of the enforcement work. We have physical threats, we have legal threats, political threats. It's very common for people that are put in jail to say, well, I get out, I kill you. We have activists that were shot. We have activists that were kidnapped. We have activists that were threatened in the street as they are going. And this is the same for politicians that are trying to retaliate, especially when you're trying to get higher people that use their power to try to retaliate. So yes, these are all dangers and the risks, but we are activists and we take that as a part of our mission. We were able to have a stronger impact as a relatively small group, mainly because of activism. You know, it's not a technical profession. There are many temptations. Uh, you need to fight very, very hard against all threats. You need to give your heart to, to the fight. Uh, and so activism is what really made a difference here in managing to get more than 3,000 major traffickers behind bars to date. One of the species at the center of wildlife trafficking in Western Central Africa is Panthera leo leo, a subspecies of lion only found in West Africa, Northern Central Africa, and India. This population of lions is geographically isolated, and it's thought there are less than 250 mature individuals left in the wild. It's a very, um, very sad story, as we have dwindling populations in West and Central Africa. And yet, in the last two years alone, we had several wild trafficking arrests of lion skins and claws and teeth traffickers arrested with it. And then we have such an arrest operation seeing two lion skins, uh, five lion skins. It, it is shocking to understand that these are the last of the last and, and how harmful it is to have such a specialized illegal trade risking lions. The illegal trade in lion skins is very much connected to the illegal trade in leopard skins, which is more common because it's more leopard. But definitely this is risking uh, lion populations. And, you know, when, when we see that and when we stop it, we know that we stop an entire operation that is generating the killings of lions. But we also know that there's so much that we don't arrest, so much that we don't know. This is the nature of crime. For every trafficker we arrest, there is many more that are specialized, that are trafficking lion skins, that are risking the last of the last lion populations of West and Central Africa. Hi, my name is Ophir Drory, founding director of Eagle Network. If you want to learn more about the work we do leading the fight against wildlife crime in Africa, please visit eagle-enforcement.org or search Eagle Enforcement to learn more about our work. Thank you so much to Ophir for his time. All of the links are at wildmissions.com and please consider how you might be able to support the fight against wildlife crime in any way. The Cameroonian hip-hop music you heard is Kamerimeth by Ken Fai, licensed under Creative Commons. Cuts the Wild is created by me, Andy Varvel. Theme music is by Score Squad. Other music and sound effects from Envato. 